So, Gunnar, as soon as I left uh, Westford last week, it seems like you arrived. What's up with that? Well, as you know, Dave, uh, if the two of us are in one place at the same time, there's a uh, singularity effect that we're trying to avoid. So, mm-hmm. uh, or alternate, funnier answer is uh, for insurance reasons, the two of us can't be in the same room <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, that's it's a Lloyd's of, was it Lloyd's of London uh, insurance policy on the podcast. Um, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> They're not willing to run the risk of both of us coming to the same page. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and it was in like in Ohio here, it was snowing, uh, which like today it broke my heart after being like 70 degrees, like on like Saturday, but, uh, is it miserable there in Westford? Uh, it's, uh, it's actually funny. I, uh, I enjoyed the band of storms that came through in Texas, and then I got on an airplane and then landed, and then got to enjoy the same storm front all over again. Uh, oh, nice. So that was nice. so that was cool. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, but no, it's it's like a kind of a dreary, rainy, but it's you know it's a New England spring, right? That's mm-hmm. that's kind of that's kind of what what we're all here for. So, but yeah. I saw some tulips and another some wildflowers are blossoming. So yeah, it's nice. Good. Good. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of travel, remember the the Jabber box that uh, that we talked about a couple episodes ago. Uh, help me remember. Like the, give me give me thirty words. It's that phone booth. It's like the phone booth in Laguardia that you could rent. Oh yes, yes, I do remember this. Yes. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to lead a like a presentation video call to like 150 of my closest friends and. Um, and it's like I was in LaGuardia at the time, and I'm like, all right, well, I'll try out this Jabberbox and see if it's uh, what what the, uh, if it lives up to the hype or not. So I do it. Um, it was kind of interesting where like you get this passcode and like that opens a door, and then you could like close the door and it'll lock, and you can go off to the bathroom and come back or go to Starbucks or whatever. So that was kind of cool. But it winds up that um, the Jabberbox isn't properly ventilated, so it got like crazy stuffy hot in there um yeah yeah and then and then it was like and so like i was like cracking the door a little bit uh you know when i wasn't talking to just let some fresh air in and i was like just really it was like really stuffy and then like in laguardia this is the first time that this has ever happened to me too have you ever been in an airport when there was a bomb threat uh no i can't say that i have Okay, so I was when I was in that box, and um, so imagine. <laughs> so I'm giving this presentation, and you could see through the window of of the box, like you know how they have the strobe light that's like flashing the you know for an alarm. So like that's going on. You hear the buzzer, but it's like kind of muffled, but it's not perfectly soundproof. And it was uh, they were announcing a bomb threat. So this is like in typical like New York accent, you know, hey, we've been reported a bomb threat. Uh, we'll keep you posted. It was it was no like <laughs> you need to evacuate. But it's like they just had the buzzer going they had the lights going. They said there was a bomb threat. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll let you know. Um, you know, carry on. So I'm like presenting through the whole thing. And, and like everybody afterwards, they're like, 
man, you're like cool under pressure. It's, it's like they could see on the video, they could see the flat, the strobe light of presenting on me. And I'm just like, oh, let's tell you what's coming along. And, you know, and I'm like presenting <laughs> through the whole thing. And, um, and I guess, and the threat went away. And it was the whole reason why they didn't evacuate is because it was, I guess it was on the, um, the ticketing side of security. So think of the, how terrible and how jacked up the flights would be to evacuate an entire terminal and then bring everybody through security again, all at one right. time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And especially so, thinking that every, everybody on the cleared side is hopefully has less weapons or, you know, they've been sort of uh, scanned already. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, Man, that's amazing. That's, that is a commitment to the customer, Dave, to uh, continue with yes. your customer meeting in the middle of a bomb threat. You should get a – do we give out Purple Hearts? You should get <laughs> No, well, it was an internal meeting, too, for that matter. And and actually, I have it recorded, so anybody that wants to see the internal recording, <laughs> um, they, they can see it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Yeah. But what's what's going on with you? Anything is uh, that exciting? Uh, no, I can't say it's been that exciting, but, um, uh, I, okay. So today in the Todoist news, um, mm -hmm. I, I recently found, I recently found myself, um, starting to, uh, write down my, my day's to-dos on paper. And as you know, that is a well-understood signal that uh, my to-do system is falling apart, um, because right. I feel compelled to now write down my stuff on paper. Right. So, okay. All right. So I block off some time. And, uh, and get this, get this thing under control. And I realized that, uh, over the course of, of, uh, over a year, um, I had begun creating projects for myself and I did not really have a reason to go revisit these projects. So, um, go investigate some obscure area of hardware acceleration or, um, you know, go think about this part of the market or, you know, these, uh, these kinds of projects. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I find that I was just accumulating tasks in there, but I wasn't really visiting with them on a regular basis. And so things were just piling up in there and I wasn't mm. doing anything with them. But by the time I realized they were there, then they were too old and I had to get rid of them. Okay, well, this is wasteful and um, making me anxious. So I'm going to do something about this. And I said, well, how do I understand what my what I should do is just pay attention to the, the things that I've already made a priority. And how do I know mm. what's a priority? Well, the way you can figure out what's a priority is you go and look at your calendar. Because in your calendar, you've already, your calendar is just a list of the things that you have already decided are important. And so I said, huh, okay, well, can I effectively reorganize my to-do list in terms of meetings? Because listen, you know, I'm a middle manager, right? My whole job is taking tasks from one meeting and moving them into another meeting, right? And mm -hmm. so my, my to-do tool should actually reflect that. So I created a project for each of my meetings, my one-on-ones, you know, team meetings, um, meetings with other parts of the organization. And wouldn't you know it, um, almost all of my to-do items actually fell neatly into one or more of these, of these, uh, of these, uh, of these projects. And so now I've got, now whether I've chosen the right meetings or not is a separate discussion, but at least now I know, now I've actually got a, a way of looking at the work that it makes kind of intuitive sense to me. And, uh, mm -hmm. inside each of these projects, I have a little thing for, uh, what's on my agenda. And then I have a little section for next actions, uh, from each meeting. And at the end of the meeting, I go take the next actions and it's, uh, Hey, go talk to Joe about foobar and I can go drag that task item into my Joe one-on-one. -on -one. And then when I show up to the Joe one-on-one, -on -one, sure enough, there's all the things I'm supposed to talk to Joe about. Um, and this has made it, this is, 
this has been one of the most successful kind of uh, reorging uh, bike shedding of my to-do list that I've had in, in quite some time. Um, I strongly recommend it. It's great. Um, it also forces you to think like, if you have a list bunch of tasks related to the same topic and there's no meeting for them, that is also telling. That tells you that, huh, maybe there should be a meeting. Uh, or maybe I need to go convene a meeting about this. Or maybe I need to go mm-hmm. find another meeting to bring up this topic in. Um, anyway, I found it to be super it. clarifying and, or not do it. Exactly. Um, and so that, uh, so this organizing your to-do list by meeting, um, I, I, I'm going to call it a huge success. I've been very pleased. Yeah. So, so would you call it organizing it by meeting or by like type of meeting, like one-on-ones or, or is it a per, for every like one-on-one with Bob or whoever it's you, you have, you go to that level of granularity. I go to that level of granularity. So like one-on-one with Bob, one-on-one with Ron, <clears throat> one-on-one with my boss, one-on-one, you know, um, skip level, all, all that stuff. Um, and it's also helpful if you have a regular meeting and the agenda is always empty, that's also a good sign. Like, hey, maybe you don't need to be doing this meeting, right? Yeah. Or maybe yeah, or, or spread the cadence out. So anyway, so I've been, I've been extremely pleased. So Dave, what do we have waiting for us on the show today? Oh, we're going to be talking about risks. So, uh, yeah, the risk of improperly testing malware, the risk of reading the wrong things, the risk of using Google services that haven't been killed yet, and the risk of downplaying risk. I feel like risk is like an evergreen topic for us. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Fear, <laughs> uncertainty, doubt, risk, all that. Yep. That's right. All right. So uh, if folks want uh, Gunnar's personal link to a Todoist uh, or if they want to see a photo of the Jabberbox, uh, what website should they go visit? Mm-hmm. They want to go to dgshow.org. So D's and Dave, G's and Gunner, show.org. Nice. And, uh, and a very handsome cutting room floor this week, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. We got uh, scientists expressing their research as interpretive dance, of course. Um, did you ever see that thing for the fake people that are generated by AI? I did. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Uh, uncanny. So now, very yeah. uncanny valley kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now there's a hot or not for uh, fake people. Um, so you know, have at it. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah. And then, uh, human blinders to block out distractions. So did you see that? If, if not, scroll down uh, to the bottom there. Oh yeah, no, it looks it, like would, uh, like actual actual horse blinders, except the kind of um, like if Google designed them, right? Because they're kind of like tasteful, kind of felt, yeah, wraparound things yeah. that keep you block your peripheral vision, right? Yeah, would would you buy them? Uh, I am not distracted by things in my peripheral vision usually, so that's not really a. Although I okay. uh, although but, I respect their signaling value. For others. Right. That's what I was thinking. It, especially, you know, it's like that that sort of lets people know whether you want to be bothered or not. Um, but yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. People could check it out. They could buy them, try it out, report back to us. And we could even interview them uh, when they wear them and we'll have their undivided attention. <laughs> <laughs> love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So right, cool. did you ever hear the term, the uh, hipster effect? Um, I, I felt like I've, I've felt a hipster effect, but I don't know specifically what this, uh, what this refers to now. Yeah. So the hipster effect is the, can, the counterintuitive phenomenon 
in which people who oppose mainstream culture all end up looking the same. <laughs> I like it. I like this very much. Yeah. I used to live in Brooklyn, so I, I could definitely, I, I, I have seen this in action. Yeah. Yeah. So get a load of this. So there's this guy that, um, well, okay. So MIT Technology Review did a story on the hipster effect. And then he had, they, they had a picture of a hipster in the article as like the cover thing. So this guy like reached out to MIT Technology Review saying that, how dare you say that, that hipsters all look alike and you use my picture and my likeness. Um, you know, so I'll give you the exact quote that he said, your, your lack of basic journalistic ethics in both the manner in which you reported this uncredited nonsense and the slanderous, unnecessary use of my picture without permission demands a response. I am, of course, pursuing legal action. But actually, the, right. the image wasn't him. <laughs> it was a Getty photo of, of a hipster. <laughs> so, but anyhow, like MIT, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. So, so what you're saying... So what you're saying is that this hipster was so thoroughly homogenized that he was indistinguishable from clip art. From himself. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like he couldn't tell the difference between himself and a, and a, a stock photo of a hipster. Great. It's great. Yes. I love it. And, and so, it. like, if you take a look, at, you know, like the MIT Technology Review article, like, went into great depth of, like, like, like there's like all kind of math and crazy formulas and graphs and stuff like that. I, you could take a look at it there in the show notes, but um, you know, where it says like, you know, at relatively no noise where beta equals 15, while the average remains uh, close to zero, the system switches between different states where hipsters and mainstreams are aligned with switching times exponentially distributed as pictured on the right. <laughs> I love it. So you, you can't great. say that this is like, uh, you know, uh, just like some, some article that somebody had a hunch. I mean, this is like data to, to back it up with, with fancy graphs and math. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. It's yeah. great. And it matches our intuitive understanding too, which is, which is nice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, the other thing, and we're going to talk about Google for a little bit here, but, um, there is, one, I don't know if this is a little bit older, this article, but, there's some uh, Google Play malware that was using the phone's motion sensor to conceal itself. So think about that itself. for a second. Yes. So imagine like if, you know, like imagine Google Play probably has like clusters of systems that are doing like malware tests and, you know, all kind of tests to see if, if something is cropping up and phoning home and all that, right? But those simulators are probably not using uh, motion sensors to generate data. So in this case, the malware will only turn itself on whenever it detects motion from the motion sensors. Whoa, that's fantastic. Yes. So the research, yeah. so so the so the malware author is assuming that well, listen, if they're going to be fuzzing my app. They're going to do yep. the, the, the phone will be in some stationary harness or will be a simulator that will have no motion data. And so right. if the thing is moving, then I'm probably safe from, yes. from a, from a fuzz stick. 
fantastic. That it's a real, yeah, that it's a real phone as opposed to like somebody simulating it and like has it in like some sort of curated lab, um, you know, under a, under a Petri dish. Yeah. That's amazing. That's excellent. That's excellent. Yeah. But to me, it, it also shows that you could probably defeat that with your, have your fuzzer like stimulate the simulator in terms of, you know, generating some motion data and, and time of day, you know, light sensor and stuff like that to um, have it trip, you know, to make it more of seem like a, it's almost like a Turing test for a phone, right? To know whether it's a, a real phone or a, a simulated phone. Right. But then the counter counter attack is now detect, like, can you detect simulated motion versus actual motion, right? Um, right. The, yeah. 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 Oh, that's yeah. fine. Or if the that's hipster is using it, or or a real is it a real <laughs> hipster or is it a fake sorry. hipster? A poser. Sorry, man. You, yeah. you you move. Sorry, man. You move so consistently that you're indistinguishable from the simulator. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Great. Yeah, but speaking of of vendor abandonment, and you know, we haven't done a call for a while of of people that want to be in our our uh, little Slack group that. Uh, memberships still are available if they want to sign up the, with the uh, uh, premium subscription to the David Gunner Show, which is zero uh, dollars, uh, right? Um, so reach out to us and, and we can get you in. But one of the things that we brought up uh, in the channel and we said we would make this part of the show is uh, um, there was an article about uh, Google's uh, product shutdowns are damaging its brand. And so like in the article, one of the key takeaways I saw that is it if we so here's a quote. If we take the official shutdown dates that have already occurred in 2019, a Google-branded product, feature, or service had died on average about every nine days. And what I was I was thinking, it's like, oh, well, hey, this is fail fast to succeed sooner, and, like, why have this uh, mountain of uh, technical debt that you got to slog along? But you said that you might have some counter uh, uh, counterpoints, though. I do. Um, and so, and by the way, this, this effect is real. Um, I was recently, as you know, I'm not an enormous fan of Amazon, um, for mm-hmm. really kind of frivolous reasons, but the Amazon recently bought Eero, uh, mm-hmm. who runs my, my Wi-Fi mesh network. And so I was in the market for a new mesh network, um, cause I wasn't interested in, in having Amazon in my house. And uh, so, as you know, I'm, I'm a Google guy. I'm all in on the Google. I got the Google Homes and the Chromecasts and all that other stuff. So, okay, I'm going to go. There is a Google Wi-Fi um, competitor to Euro. Uh, and I mm-hmm. went to go uh, price it out. And, in fact, it was on sale. And then I had a moment. I had a thought, which was this thing was released in 2016, and there have been no meaningful product updates ever since. Like, how mm-hmm. long do I think this is actually going to work? Like, are they still paying attention to this product? Right. So so this leads me to, so the fail faster is, um, I got got a few thoughts here. One is the fail faster works because it's software and not hardware. Um, In other words, hardware is kind of necessarily kind of capital and labor intensive to set up in the first place. And so Mm -hmm. uh, failing, saying failing faster in software terms um, has different consequences than failing on in hardware terms. So that that was one kind of line of thinking we can talk about. The other one is uh, failing faster is usually applied to the actual development process, not to something that is actually in production. Mm-hmm. 
Right. So it's confusing. It's confusing the fact of like failing faster as you're developing a new feature makes a ton of sense. Failing faster pr at a product level is a completely is a different set of concerns. Um, and, and killing a product is a different set of choices than killing a particular feature or killing a particular part of your roadmap. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe maybe the advice there would be to not maybe not everything should be productized or maybe it should be called beta. Uh, to let people know that, hey, we're going to try this, and if it's su successful, we'll make it a thing. Sort of like how Gmail was a beta forever. Right, right, right. Yeah. And Well, exactly. And then when it left beta, that came with a certain set of implicit promises on Google's part that, like, yes, this thing is around for a while, and we're going to run. So this brings me back to a classic Red Hat discussion of the difference between a project and a product where a project is something that moves as quickly as possible, constantly churning, innovating, all this other stuff, very much like a lot of these Google products that are being killed today. But when you have a product, you have a set of promises that you're making to your user or to your customer. And that mm -hmm. promise, at least in Red Hat's case, like that promise is, is one of the biggest values that we provide is a life cycle attached to the product. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna, we're gonna basically promise on a stack of Bibles that a given version of RHEL will be around in 10 years time, right? Mm -hmm. As long as there's a Red Hat, there will be a Red Hat Enterprise Linux 7 until, you know, whatever the date is, 20, 2020, whatever. And that promise is, is actually a feature of the product, the fact that it will be around for a long time. Mm -hmm. Now, in Google's case, they transitioned Gmail from beta to product. But as far as I know, that promise of product did not come with any kind of promise around longevity. Okay. And so I think that, so using my language, I don't think that Google has very many software products. I think they have a lot of software projects. Mm -hmm. um, and even the, given the kind of, uh, I think they have a lot more rigor around the G Suite, they're now calling it, right? They're, they're kind of mm -hmm. paid for apps. So you can like pay for a private Google experience with Gmail and calendar and things like that. I think that does come with kind of lifecycle promises. But if you're just an end user uh, of Gmail, just like Joe Schmo, um, I think that you can enjoy the Gmail service, but you certainly can't rely on the Gmail service. Yes, you're, you're not a customer. Um, you're not a customer. The product, right, yeah. That's right, yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway, it's uh, now, but it gets confusing, right? Because Google does present Gmail as a product, mm -hmm. but unless you're actually paying for it, it's not really a product. Yep. Yeah, and even even when it is productized, the the move, like if you look at say like Google Calendar, how it changed its layout and it made it that uh, material design uh, white mm -hmm. flat look. Um, mm -hmm. You know, people could opt into it at first, but then they switched mm -hmm. it to the default and then they switched it to everybody's moving right now and we're shutting down the other side. So, um, you know, people, you know, there's not going to be the, um, you know, long life cycle of whatever particular features that are out there. But, right. Uh, and significant. Yeah. And significantly, when you're uh, a G Suite administrator, you actually have control over when those features are rolled out to your customers, to your users. Right. You can say some. like hold back. Then, yeah. Some of them. That, that's right. That's right. Yeah. But I think. Yeah. The, the, the I timing. Think, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you but if you if you're Google, I think the way that they think about a product is not a fixed set of features and UX, you know, user experiences. Um, they're not thinking about it as a, uh, a set of fixed things in time. 
they mm. I think that they're thinking about it as we are making a calendar service available to you. We may change our mind from time to time on what calendar experience that is. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but we are not going to promise that you are going to receive the 2006 calendar experience in 2019, um, mm -hmm. which I think on the balance is actually a fair bet. Um, yeah. No, I think that's that's right. And if you look at, say, like Inbox as an example of, hey, we're trying this and um, it may or may not be around. And then the uh, um, and then they got rid of Inbox and and, you know, they're doing other stuff, too, with like like YouTube and YouTube music and Google Play music and Google Play music winding down and Hangouts hang, winding down where, you know, they'll provide a music service or a uh you know, chat service, but uh, it may be different and you may have to switch along the way. And that's, I guess, the reality for like all software companies where you may have this need to upgrade, even even with Red Hat for major versions. And But the, the interesting thing you say about the projects, though, is that with open source projects, if we declare them a failure and somebody still likes it, they could keep on, they could pick it up and keep running with it if they want to because yeah. it's open source. Well, that's right. That's right. Um, I also think that when we're talking about this like Google funeral <laughs> kind of problem, um, I think it's easy to conflate them killing a product and then them transitioning that product into a new product or a different offering. Right. So the example of like right. Google music turning into YouTube music um, or Google inbox transitioning into Gmail. I'm a I'm a born again inbox user, but like they did a pretty good job at moving all the stuff I cared about in inbox into the regular Gmail. And after a period of adjustment, like, you know, my life is still functioning fine um, without yeah. without inbox. Um, I'm expecting to have the same experience with moving from Google Music to YouTube Music. Um, but things like Google Plus basically just getting killed. Um, that's in a different category of, of failure. Right. Yep. Yeah, it's there. They were just exiting the social uh, market there. Yeah. 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 That's right. Mm hmm. Yep. Okay. All right. Problem, so anyway, but, as, but I think, yeah. well, I think, yeah, I think so. But it, but it is in the aggregate though, like I am, and I think this is true of many people, like ever since the, ever since the very sloppy retiring of Google reader, um, yes. I think everyone's been rightfully suspect of leaning too heavily on a, um, on a, on a given, on a given Google service, right. Knowing that any moment oh, yeah. they could make that bad decision again. Yeah, like think about like Google Photos and, you know, that's where, you know, people have gone, like myself included, away from, um, you know, having a folder for everyone and deduplicating pictures and uh, uh, getting rid of uh, red eye and everything to trusting Google to do it for you and having one just big flat thing that you could search. But and I, I could absolutely do takeout and pull everything out, but then I get one big zip file of like five million pictures. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, I got I got one. Uh, well, two more things here, but one one thing for another thing for the uh, lexicon. Um, did Did you ever hear of the argument dilution effect? Uh, no, I haven't. Tell me more. Yeah. So, did you ever see the the drug uh, company commercials of uh, and then they rattle off all the side effects? Oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure, yeah, yeah. Like it's uh, like. Otherwise, serene commercial, and then uh, like a very quickly they'll run through just like a horrific set of uh, 
uh, possible consequences of taking the drug, right? Yeah, there's like people on a merry-go-round and then they're talking about like going blind and, and your ears falling <laughs> right. off. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 and yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. And so the whole thing that, so to check this out is, uh, there were some studies that have been done about, um, basically how drug companies, uh, ads downplay the risk by doing this thing called the argument dilution effect, where what you do is you, um, uh, it, it's a bias that you could create where if, uh, you add more side effects and that are um, less harmful, you will downplay psychologically the major side effect. Right. You like flood the zone, right? Yeah. So it's like, it's going to make your hair straight. It's going to make your teeth a little bit whiter. It's going to, you know, or, or, you know, and then down and then you're going to die. And then there's like some other ones that are like <laughs> not, not as bad. And then, so the, the, you know, like you'll have a heart attack one would be like, oh, well, there's of, of all eight things, you know, only one of them is bad. And um, so they they found that there's actually a correlation that instead of just saying that you'll have a heart attack and you know your eyes will fall out or whatever. If if you list all of the things that, uh, you know, it, if like overcompensate with all the possible things, people are going to say that, oh, it's not that bad at all. Right. Right. Yeah, so they've been doing that with, uh, you know, drug commercials and did, did some analysis and, and found a, uh, 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 this, this thing to take place there. Right, right. So, Dave, can you use this in your, in your, in your life? This seems like a useful tool. Yeah. Yeah, this does seem like a good mind hack. Like when you talk about the risk of something, um, you know, like in a sales situation, somebody could, like an evil salesperson could say that, oh yeah, well, hey, this is broken, this is broken, and you know, we didn't capitalize this letter, and uh, you know, and and so you just you add a bunch of fluff with uh, uh, the catastrophic stuff, you could get people to <laughs> buy into. It's like, oh, it's not that bad at all. I could put up with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's I mean the you know the the classic manager move of like the. Uh... The, the the compliment sandwich or the criticism sandwich, right? Tell them something good, yes. and then tell them something bad, and then tell them something good. That's just a version of that, right? It, exactly, and it's just a lot of bread on both sides, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that. Yeah. So the the last thing I got that I thought was pretty interesting is um, there's an article that I, I read about how to read. 80-ish books in a year and actually remember them? And like when you read books, do you remember them or do you take notes or 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 do you treat it more like entertainment that it's like, oh, I saw this movie and like you next week you totally forgot what the movie was all about and you know, like the half-life of what you remember just decays so quickly? Uh that's a good question. I think it depends on the book. Um I rarely take notes or really bother remembering. I I really I store books mostly as feelings, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. um, yes. And uh, I do. I, so I just finished a very long and very dense kind of a very dense uh, philosophy book, um, which is uh, The Open Society and Its Enemies by Karl Popper. Um, okay. <clears throat> which I don't know that I can recommend as a as something to just like hang out and read in leisure time. Like it is. It was very hard to get through. In fact, it took me like over a year, and it actually 
if I'm honest with myself, a lot more than that, um, to, to get through the entire book. I can't say that I even absorbed most of it. Um, mm -hmm. but it did in the course of reading it, you know, two or three good ideas came to me, which I did end up writing down and, and saving for later. Um, but, uh, now for the most part, I, I store most of feelings. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and to me, like I'll read eBooks and I'll, I'll highlight them. And it's nice. Like with, when I, even with the library books, I get, uh, and send them to the Kindle. The Kindle will remember the highlights, um, or mm. you know, Amazon will remember the highlights. And the same thing with uh, if I buy books off of the Google Play Store um, or or have EPUBs and read them in the Google Play Books and highlight them, it creates them as a Google Doc. So you know, and I could take notes and things like that. But um, th there are some interesting things that they took that like. For me, that in this article that really stuck out at me that I never thought about before. But let me let me bounce these off of you. There's like four things, and let me see if this ever these ever occurred to you. So the first one that he talks about is figure out what you're reading. Um, so like, are you reading this book because somebody handed it to you? You got it for free. Um, you like the cover. You know, it's like one of those things of like you know, you want to read with purpose. Like, why are you reading this book? And, and consciously decide, you know, what you want to get out of it. So agree, disagree? Uh, yeah, no, I think, uh, I think that is important. Um, it helps you make decisions about uh, kind of time, attention, and, and retention, right? Yeah, and prioritization. Um, the next one it talks about is uh, reading the right things. So one of the things that they talk about in, in this is that a lot of times, you know, people will have these, especially how polarized our society has become lately, of, of, uh, you know, they're just parroting the talking points that they read in the newspaper or their favorite blog or from the, the news, but they rarely do the people actually go back to the sources and read what, you know, what was actually done or said or read the legislation that they disagree with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, this is a good opportunity for me to recommend uh, a very good podcast, uh, called The Weeds. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it's a, it's a Vox property and it's a uh, Matt Iglesias and, um, Ezra Klein and, and some other uh, journalists who take a given headline and they actually go and read the primary sources. Right? <laughs> they go back and read the studies mm -hmm. um, that people are talking about and then, um, uh, and then draw, kind of draw their own conclusions from it. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's a, it's mostly a politics or kind of a wonky policy podcast. Um, but it is also in that way is a kind of a form of media criticism. Um, anyway, it's mm -hmm. listening to that podcast has m made me very aware of the fact that, um, what is, what could easily be taken as kind of received wisdom is actually something that has been manufactured. Right. And that, and that yes. actually does come from somewhere. Right. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, there are multiple sides to, uh, whatever is being reported on too, that you may not be totally privy to. Um, right. So the other thing that's interesting is that he talks about, and this is something I never thought about before, is that um, he talks about developing a uh, system of note taking where he calls a system the, the blank sheet where he. Uh, so before you start reading a new book, you want to take a blank sheet of paper and write down what you know about the subject. And as you're reading. Um, so that's basically, you know, the objectives of like this is where you started um, and what you want to get out of it. And then the next thing is, like, as you're reading, use a different color pen and write down new ideas and connect them to what you originally wrote. Um, you know, so basically it's a way to 
turn the, uh, you know, to have a linkage between the old knowledge and your new knowledge. Okay. I like that. Yeah. I like that. That's, that sounds like exactly the kind of thing that I would start doing and then stop doing because I don't like the extra work involved, but I do like the idea of kind of externalizing the learning process that way. That's really cool. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. The, the thing here is that, um, you know, using the different colors, you could, you could see over time and then it could even be like a mind map or, or, you know, where, you know, to, you know, to keep track of where you are and everything. But, um, but the important thing here is that, like, if you read that book, like, five years ago, and, you know, the half-life of what you remember is, like, totally gone, but you're like, but the only way that you're going to get that knowledge back is to reread the book again, you could just save a lot of time by just, like, pulling out that um, piece of paper and seeing how, um, uh, seeing how you, uh, you know, what, what you read in the past as a refresher, so to eliminate the need to have to read the book all over again. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I like that. I like that. And then, yeah, the next one was uh, uh, don't treat your reading as background noise where, you know, like a lot of times it's like, oh, I got five minutes. So I'm going to read three more pages of this book or something like that. Um, you know, and this is I think this also goes back to his um, desire to take notes as well, where it's like it has to be something deliberate. And I could imagine if you're reading like a fiction book, you know, you don't need to take notes. but but if it is like a topic that you want to learn or something for a class or, or something that you really want to get into for work, um, you know, having that dedicated time that, you know, so you're not distracted or not interrupted or, you know, you're sitting there at a doctor's appointment and, you know, just waiting for to be called in any second. So any yeah. thoughts on that? Yeah, I like that. I think we've talked about on the show before. Um, I've started this practice of trying to read first thing in the morning, like the very first thing I do when I get yes. up. Um, mm-hmm. when I can pull it off, that is spectacular because I, I have all the focus I need. Um, you know, I haven't picked up my phone and gone through my email, um, haven't been distracted. And it's really a nice way to kind of ease into the day. Um, mm-hmm. so when I can, when I can pull that off, it's very rewarding. It's very rewarding. Yep. Yep. And so here's the last one. Um, so this one is, uh, he says, uh, be a quitter. And so a uh, couple awesome quotes here. Um, there are far too many books in the world to stick with the ones you don't like. Um, another quote that he has is, it's not your job to convince yourself that you need to read the book. And and it's all about <laughs> quality reads and not quantity reads. And like how many times it's like, I spent money in that book or I'm I'm going to slog my way through this book. And, you know, it's like I'm only like 30 percent, but I, it's at um, a sunk cost fallacy, right, where it's like mm-hmm. – yeah, I only have to spend eight more hours on this book to finish it. And, it, and it's like, you got to ask yourself, is your life going to be better if you stop reading it or not? And um, that's something that it's taken me a while to do, but now now I'm doing that a lot more often in terms of uh, just like, you know, gong show. It's like 10% into it. I don't like it. It's like, boom, it's out of here. And it's okay. Yeah. I don't have to finish it. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. I used to, um, I used to give... Uh, books uh, second third and fourth chances at being interesting yes um like oh maybe i'm just like maybe i'm just maybe i'm just not smart enough right and or maybe i'm just not reading carefully enough and this guy really has something to say um no turns out mostly that's not the case like and uh i don't need to be that i don't need to be that uh that indulgent um it's just you know sometimes bad writing is bad writing sometimes you're not gonna like a book um and there's no shortage of good books um so spending time with bad books doesn't make sense doesn't make any sense 
Yeah, especially in this day and age where, you know, it's like mm -hmm. the free access to libraries and, and how uh, even electronically to get these books, it's like, you know, put her to walk away and, uh, you know, yeah. it's okay to stop reading a book. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's right. Especially with like library eBooks where the, the, the cost of, where the cost is, is so low, right? You didn't even have to get in your car yep. and go to the library to get it. Um, so yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Yep. For sure. Yeah. Okay. That's all I got. Those are good tips, man. I like that a lot. Yeah. You're going to have to start all mind right. mapping in uh, Todoist and connect that to something. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you can, it will not surprise you to learn that as you're as you're as you're telling me about this blank sheet system, I'm trying to figure out how to do it in Todoist. <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> this episode brought to you by Todoist. <laughs> oh, that's great. Great. All right, Dave. Okay, so if uh, yeah, if people need to buy a set of those blinders to look at uh, to review. Uh, the fake people see whether they're hot or not. Where, where do we need to send them? They should go to uh, uh, dgshow.org. That's D is in Dave, G is in Gunner, show.org. Awesome. Okay. Well, good, good, good stuff, Gunner. Hopefully, you have a prosperous and uh, sunny week in lovely Westford, and uh, wish you the best. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.